0: Uh, the way The way this podcast works is that Eric and I just pick a book of the Bible and then we spend thirty minutes every week just going through it verse by verse, and so we decide we sometimes when we're out speaking together, we'll record one live and then we will upload it in a little air, and uh people all over the world will hear what you're hearing, so if you want to be on it, you know just laugh loud or clap or whatever, and you can be yeah. On it. Um yeah, yeah, um mm-hmm. uh, just so happens. Um, well, I'll start this, so uh let's see here, okay, so welcome to 30 Minutes in the New Testament. 30 Minutes in the New Testament is a 1517 podcast, network podcast, you can go to 1517.org slash podcast, check out all the other podcasts that are living over there, and while you're over there, you can check out all the other things that we do over at fifteen seventeen. So we are recording this live from Moundsville, West Virginia, right? You can applaud. This is your, your town. Moundsville, West Virginia. They were gracious enough to have us out for a, a seminar, Eric. And last, so last week we started uh, a brand new book of the Bible. We did. The Gospel according to John. And we did get through the first 18 verses. So that means that we will be picking it up right here in uh, verse 19, but you want to do a little recap of the I'll first 18 verses? i do a little recap verses? for our
1: studio audience here today. Yeah, we, we began with the prologue of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which really includes some very, very well-known verses. Of course, the very first verse is one of these great verses supporting the doctrine of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So the Word was distinct from God, and yet the Word was God. Well, how can it be? Both and, well, because, well, the Son is God, but the Son is also us, the second person in the Trinity. And this is what the church eventually came to formulate as it formulated this most important doctrine of the Christian faith. Uh, and then it went on from there to describe what the characteristics were of this second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. John gives a little detail about his pre-existent state, his pre-incarnate state, I should say, not pre-existent, pre-incarnate state, and then wraps up by saying the famous words in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he goes on from there to basically give an introduction to really what his gospel is going to be all about, which is... The fact that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh here to save sinners. So now we get into verse 19 and we're going to begin uh, John depicting what this ministry of Jesus actually looks like. And he does that by looking at John the Baptist. And so we read verse 19 and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So, Dan, there must have been something behind the question, who are you? We, we might be able to surmise that they had a few more words than just that question. But whatever it was, John sensed that they were getting the impression that he might be the Messiah or he might be claiming to be the Messiah. And so right up front, John wants to make clear, who he is, well, or maybe who he isn't.
0: Well, obviously there's more to this question. I don't know about you, Eric, but when people ask me who I am, I don't say, well, I'm not the Christ, I'll tell you that much. That's not how I usually... That's true. It's That's not usually how I open that up with. So, yeah, obviously they're asking... They, they What they're doing is they're seeing this this sort of preacher and prophetic-looking uh looking figure out in the wilderness, and he's out saying these things, he's preaching, and all all these people are coming out to him. So they want to know hey, are you the, the long-awaited Messiah? He says, no, I am not that. And then they say, okay, uh, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, that seems like an interesting question because Elijah has been dead and for gone. a very, very long time. Yeah. But the belief was that Elijah would return so much so that they even at Passover suffers, they'd leave a place for him. Yeah, still do. Still do. Yep.
1: At Passover Seders, there'll be an empty chair at the table in case Elijah decides to show up.
0: Yes, so he answers to this uh question. He says, I am not. Mm -hmm. which is interesting because Jesus will say, yeah, you are. Yes, I know. That is the
1: strange thing. And we'll we'll explain more as we go through John's gospel, how John the Baptist can both be Elijah and yet at the same time not Elijah. Uh, Short answer is he has the spirit of Elijah in that he is this prophetic voice. And just as Elijah was said to have uh, one day prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, that is in fact what John the Baptist will do. But then they continue, they say, okay, if you're not Elijah, well then are you the prophet? Now what is this in reference to, Dan? Well, Moses had told the people of Israel that one day there would be a prophet or the prophet that would come speaking of the Messiah. And so if he's not Elijah, the one that's preparing the way, well then are you, are you the Messiah? And again, he says, no, no, I'm, I'm not him. So they said to him, "Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself?" And he said, "I am the voice of one crying out in the- in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet
0: Isaiah said yeah yeah so you this this uh statement makes straight right what what is that what is he getting at there Wait, what what does that mean so he says make straight the way of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think what what John is saying in this is that the religious system at the time had made the the way of God very confusing. It's very complicated. Uh, they, they had the law, but then they had all these other rules that they had placed around the law so that That's you right. never even get close to breaking the law. Uh, they called this building a fence around the law. They had all yes. kinds of other things that the religious system was trying to get you to do to... Uh, acts that they were trying to get you to perform, things that they wanted you um, to believe. All of this had become very confusing. And here comes John saying, the way to God is about to get real straight and real narrow. And everybody, you know, every Christian knows this. Jesus is like, hey, you know, Jesus says it's a narrow road. It's a, it's a narrow gate. Yep. Well, John's saying the roads are going to get real straight. is, In other words, it ain't going to be confusing. It's going to be a straight-line drive how you get to heaven. And and the road to heaven, the road uh, to God, is going to be as narrow as one single person. That's Jesus Christ. See, the, the, the idea here is not that the road to heaven is so narrow because... Uh, there's all these things that you must do. It's narrow because there's nothing you can do. You have to go in through this one, it's as narrow as one man, Jesus Christ. That's how, road, that's how narrow the road to heaven is. But all are welcome to pass through that narrow road if they would like to. And so, John is saying, what's coming after me is going to straighten out all this, all of this complicated and, um, and, uh, confusing Things that the that religious system has put into place. And the kingdom of God is about to get real narrow and yes. real straight. Yes. But, of course, they're still not satisfied with that answer at all. It says in
1: verse 24, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So they still need an answer to go back to their bosses with. Tell us what the heck you're up to. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So there John is saying, listen, I'm here to prepare the way. That's what I'm here to do. Tell, if you need to tell them something, Tell them that I'm the person preparing the way for one who even is alive now, in your midst, who is coming, whose, strap of, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. There is a Messiah coming. I'm just the herald that's letting everybody know, is essentially what John is saying. And you got to believe when they hear this answer, Dan, that this has got to send a shiver up their spine a little bit, because they, they have to know that their bosses are not going to be happy about this answer.
0: Yeah, this is not really what they were looking for. Uh, um, there is like, I think there is a genuine curiosity at this point when the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees, if you're reading the scriptures, you're like, okay, these are the sort of the villains of the, of the gospels, right? Yeah. I think at this point, there's just a genuine curiosity of what's going on. Right. Uh, because people are coming out and John is baptizing people in the wilderness. Yes. And that was not a normal thing. Yeah, it's all a very weird scene. Because Jews didn't get baptized. They, they, this was proselytite baptism. He was treating the Jews like a bunch of unbelievers. Yes. And so that was very strange. Uh, so they wanted to know what exactly is going on. He's like, well, I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, someone is coming after me. That's what's going to be going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so this is, on, on the one hand, I, I do think you're right, Dan, that a number of the religious leaders were curious at this point and yet at the same time, we know that they were bothered by the things John was saying mm-hmm. because he was calling them to repentance. And, and sometimes, I mean, you go over to the other Gospels, I mean, he's pretty brutal when he calls them to repentance. He, he, you know, when they come, he's like, you're a brood of vipers. You need to do, you know, you need to actually bear fruit and keep them with repentance. I mean, he's not afraid to call them out. And so, they, you know, these people know that there's something different about his ministry and what he's up to that's making them suspicious. And so, so we wrap up this little section in verse 28. It says these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, Nevertheless, we're not done with John. Speaking of the one who is whose sandals he's not worthy to untie, verse 29 says the next day he, that would be John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold! Or look, pay attention. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Dan, I love this declaration more than anything else John says in his ministry.
0: Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, this. Uh, imagine uh, if you saw Jesus in the flesh. I mean, what would you say about him? Well, this is the first time we see Jesus show up in this gospel. This is the first time that you ever see Jesus show up uh, as an adult, as he gets ready to enter ministry. And what John says about Jesus is, that there, that man, that is the Lamb of God. So this is who he is.
1: Yeah, and let's just stop there to acknowledge what he means by the Lamb of God, definite article before Lamb of God. That, of course, reminds us of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed to cover over the people as the angel came, the angel of death came and killed the firstborn of Egypt. If the blood of the lamb was over the door, then that angel passed over the children of Israel's homes and did not kill the firstborn. And so this lamb of God that John is referring to when he says the, he's saying, that lamb that you remember hearing about there, this is the fulfillment of, This is
0: the actual lamb whose blood will be spilt. Why? To take away the sin. Well, well, this is what So he calls. He gives him this designation. So the designation, the title is Lamb of God. That is that all other lambs that were sacrificed in past Passover are all pointing towards this one. This is the thing. Mm -hmm. So this I'm going this title I'm giving here to Jesus is now the Lamb of God. So that's who he is. That's right. And then he adds to it. What? Has he come to do? Take away the sins of the world. So this is the mission statement. So you have the title, Lamb of God, mission statement, take away the sins of the world. This is super important for what's going to happen next. Because Jesus agrees with John that this is who he is and what he's come to do. But John's not going to really understand exactly how he wants to get that party started.
1: That's right. That's right. And so John continues, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, how did John baptize with water? Well, again, he baptized for the purpose of repentance. And so when John is baptizing, he's expecting that everybody that comes into that water is coming because they need to turn from sins and find mercy from God. That's right. That's what He's expecting. Now He doesn't go into great detail. John, the, the gospel writer here, doesn't go into detail in the same way the other synoptic gospels do. Uh, but the fact is, there is a day where Jesus comes to those waters of baptism.
0: Well, I mean, He alludes to it right here, where He says, you know. um John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him. This happened in his baptism, in, the, ba- right. in the baptism of Jesus. And so, which, I mean, that whole, that whole account is fascinating. I mean, the, the baptism of Jesus can be a really confusing thing because, okay, people getting baptized, sinners getting baptized, I think we all understand that. Uh, but Jesus going into the water to be baptized is, seems like a whole, a whole nother thing. And John, Is what I meant by John says, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus comes down and says, hey, I'm here to get baptized. And John protests and says, no, uh, I'm the one who should be getting baptized by you. I'm not doing that. Yeah. And Jesus says, let suffer it to be so to fulfill all righteousness, which is just another way of telling John to suck it up. He says, you're going to suffer this. <laughs> right, you're gonna yeah. suffer this. Like uh-huh. this is gonna feel like something that should not be happening, and you're about to suffer this. You're gonna have to baptize God. Uh You're just gonna have to suck that up and and do it. And so, what? Why?
1: Yeah, that's the big question. Why, why is why is he doing? Why is that? Jesus baptized in a baptism of repentance? And and in many traditions within the Christian world, the answer has been, well, he's doing it as an example for us. Wrong. W- I think that would be wrong. the typical way that it would be explained. That would and be Dan wrong. and I would both say, false. Wrong. Or wrong. Yeah, wrong. No, That's not it. It's not. It's not done as an example for us. No, there's actually a much more profound
0: reason that has to do with the fact that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, he's going, this is, so John is doing what? He's baptizing all these sinners. Jesus is ready to go into ministry, and he says, where's all the sinners, huh? That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the sinners. So he goes and finds them with John preaching in the wilderness. And he's getting baptized they're all baptized. So all these sinners are showing up and they go into that water dirty and they're coming out clean. It's good stuff. So to come down here, repent, we're gonna baptize you, get your sins forgiven. So you go in dirty, you come out clean, this is happening in droves of people. Jesus shows up, this man is not dirty at all. No sin on this guy. That's why John says, like, what are we doing here? Like, I got a bunch of sinners coming down here. Uh and I'm, I'm getting like, I'm, I'm about forgiving sins. You don't have any sins. And Jesus says, no, we're going to do this because I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm here to take on the sins of the world. And in this moment where John baptizes Jesus, Jesus becomes the only person ever who goes into the waters of baptism clean and comes out dirty. He's the only person ever to go in innocent and come out bearing sin because the entire ministry of Jesus is about accumulating to himself the sins of the world. He's going to to take these things and take them to the cross with him. And so immediately the first thing Jesus does in his ministry, very first thing, is identify himself with the sin of the world. That's what his baptism is about. Now that John doesn't want to do it, but he says, you're going to suffer this and you're going to do it because what's at stake here is the righteousness of the world. He said righteousness is at stake. And so I am here and I'm going to show you how committed I am to collecting to myself the transgressions of the world because I am here as the Lamb of God to die for those things. And so the very first thing in Jesus' ministry is an assumption of sin unto himself. Um, and that's that's what he does. And I would just add,
1: it's not an accident that Jesus does submit to this baptism of repentance. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Well, because, folks, um, the reality is, if, if our repentance and our ability to stay repentant enough was what ultimately saved us, we'd all be in a heap of trouble. Because we go back again and again and again and struggle with the same things over and over again. And so there's a sense in which, as Jesus goes down into the waters of baptism, He even has to repent on your behalf. It's as if He has to say, they're not going to do it the way they should.
0: So I even have to substitute myself for them in that. No, yes, yes. Right. You're, you're... I have
1: to repent
0: on their behalf as well, you need perfect repentance impu- in, imputed to you the same way you need perfect righteousness imputed to you
1: that's right uh,
0: there there is uh, i need uh, all all Christians need to be forgiven for their lousy repentance as well um, and and that, so,
1: that's why when the when Jesus goes into the water for the first time, the Father actually speaks, and what does he say finally, someone with whom I am well pleased yeah someone who's actually truly repentant for the first and only time, who really, really means it.
0: yeah, well, and this is, this is what's beautiful when, when, when he comes out of the water and he says, "This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, because this is true, because God is pleased with Christ, because that is true of Christ, well good, well done, good and faithful servant can be true about each and every one of us. It's, when, when you stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, that is only true because this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased is first true of Christ. Otherwise, the other one does not exist. Amen. And
1: so John continues, picking back up at verse 32. John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove. That happened when the, the father spoke. The spirit descended. And it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So again, you see John doing exactly what he said he's here to do, which is to always point away from himself and point to God. Christ. This is what John, the, you'll see in, in art throughout the history of the church, anytime John the Baptist is depicted, or at least certainly most of the time, you'll see him typically pointing to Jesus. That's his role. So everybody, he might draw attention to himself to get people to come and repent in those waters of baptism. But the whole time he's going, no, 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 don't look at me. I know I'm eating locusts and honey and I look weird, but that's, that's who you need to look to. And as John will eventually go on to say, the author of this gospel, he's the one who will say, "He must increase, and I must decrease." And to some extent, that's the cry of every Christian: "He must increase, I must decrease."
0: Yeah. Well, uh, what, what do you what do you do with this right here, this little thing at the end, so we don't skip it? Uh, so you have uh you have this baptism with holy with the Holy Spirit. So John says that. He heard from the one who told him to baptize with water. Yes. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend like a dove. This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Is you talking about different things here?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I no. mean, I no, I think that that all he is acknowledging is that with the coming of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to be given to all of Jesus's followers. And so, I, I don't think that there's any yeah. crucial distinction here being made.
0: No, I don't either. I don't either. Well, especially because you will see. Uh, later in Acts 2, where Peter will tie these things directly together, where the people will be like, oh, what do we need to do? And he say, he'll say, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And they That's were right. baptized with water. So this becomes where they And Plus, you have Paul who say there's one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. There's one baptism. That's uh, so right. they, we're not talking about two separate baptisms here. That's right. That's right.
1: And so we pick it up now, verse 35. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So this seems to be John's constant refrain. He seems to really, really like this title for Jesus.
0: Every time Jesus shows up, he's like, oh, the Lamb of God's here. Yeah,
1: that's right. Hey, that's the guy who takes away sins. And by the way, this is a pretty good thing to celebrate all the time. Like if you want to just celebrate one overarching thing about Jesus, you can celebrate a lot. But that's a pretty good one. Hey, this is the one who takes away my sins. Mm -hmm. This is why we're always singing about that stuff, by the way. This is why so many of our hymns go back to that. Because it's pretty great. Because i got a lot of sins that I need to have taken away. And it turns out he's pretty good at doing it. He's really good at doing it.
0: And so, yeah, I get where John's like, oh,
1: there he is again. And he's doing it again.
0: Well, John, John, it seems like he also has this, he knows something that everybody else doesn't know. Like, like, imagine if you knew that—that that is God, but no one else around you knows this. You might, you might be like that too. Every time you see him walk by, you'd be like, "Oh, there he is." Yeah. And every, and I'm sure and Jesus, this is like a regular dude. Yeah. And so, I'm sure everyone's like, "Man, I don't know. There's too much locust and honey on this guy. Like, this, guy, like, what are you talking about, man?" Yeah, man. I mean, I used to get like a little, you
1: know. A little bit like a fanboy when I'd see Jimmy Fallon living in the city. I can't imagine seeing the Lord. Yeah. I mean, you know, goodness, it's understandable why I'd get excited. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, we pick it up at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And of course, as Dan went over earlier today, Peter means rock. But it doesn't necessarily mean rock in the way that we might always think it does.
0: No, no. Sleeps like a rock, sings like a rock, all the all the bad rocky things. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So Peter is uh, you know, a very steadfast guy, but not always steadfast in the way that you might uh expect him to be i mean nevertheless yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, these are the first two this is the calling of the first two disciples both
0: andrew and peter who are and, and it's kind of weird how it happens that because john says oh there's god and um and then they just immediately like okay i guess we'll go like let's go yeah. and then when jesus asks like what what do you want they just say where are you going <laughs> that's, I think that's so great. Like, if you, like, saw, if God was among you, and you, and you was walking down the road, and someone was like, there he is, you're like, alright Eric, let's go. Yeah. And you can go follow him, and then he turns around and he's like, what do you want? You just be like, what are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's amazing. And then when he says to the, uh, his response to them is great too, come and you will see. Yes. <laughs> like, come and find out, right? Well,
1: this is actually a theme that you're gonna see throughout John's Gospel, this idea of, I'm not going to give you the answer right now. Come and see. You're going to see it in the very next passage too, when you see him call Philip and Nathaniel. This come and see language is all throughout John's gospel. You know what? You might not have all the answers right now. Just come and see.
0: Yeah. I do like that also that he says, like, hey, uh, listen, uh, we found the Messiah. Now, he hasn't done anything yet. They're, 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 and also you didn't really find him. Yeah. Right? So, like, John pointed him out to you and then you just went and asked him what he was doing. But, uh, but this, I like this exchange where he's saying, we found the Messiah and uh, you got to wonder if he's like, if Peter's like, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, the guy with the camel hair jacket and the, the locust honey, he said. <laughs> he said that was him. He said it.
1: You can trust him. Don't worry. He's solid. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And so to to that
1: point, as we wrap up the chapter, uh, again, we see this theme. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So again, this declaration, we found the Messiah, we found the long prophesied one. But Nathanael, unlike the first three disciples, has questions. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now there is a reason behind this question. Number one, there isn't really any prophecy that says the Messiah will come out of Nazareth. I mean, like in the Old Testament, you look, it never really says that anywhere, Uh, and Based on what Philip has told him right now, that he's from Nazareth, he doesn't know that he was born in Bethlehem at this point. It's understandable that he'd have questions. But also,
0: Nazareth was podunk little town of nothingness. Yeah, not, not and just not a great reputation. Yeah, mean, there's nothing I mean, good in Nazareth. And, and in fact,
1: a, a reputation for being a hotbed of sort of Gentilism and uh, paganism. and that's sort of, It didn't have a reputation of being a pure place. So Nathaniel's got understandable questions. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, here's these words again,
0: come and see. Yeah, come and find out if something good can come out of Nazareth. Yeah, and by the way,
1: yeah. it's okay if you don't have the answers when people say, I'm not sure about your claims about Jesus. It's okay to just say those words. Well, will you, will you come and check them out? Like, I think sometimes for a lot of us Christians, we feel this pressure to, like, have all the answers. And if we don't, then we're like, I just can't, I don't know what to say, and I get intimidated, and I get flustered, and I get scared, and I get nervous. Well, you can just say, hey, will you come to a Bible study with me? Or will you come to a church service with me? Or will you just come and see? That's okay. As a matter of fact, like, that's, in many times, that's a really, really effective way to introduce people to the Christian faith. We mm-hmm. just come with me to a thing. In this case, come with me to meet Jesus. And so we pick it up in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Or the way the King James says it, in whom there is no guile. Okay, uh, like here's that
0: the, word. I think we get this wrong all the time. We do. So... We're like, man, Nathan must have, or Nathaniel must have been quite the guy. No deceit in this man. No guile? No guile in this man. This guy just said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what he just said. He just yeah. said, hey, his friend, his friend said, hey man, found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. He's like, there's nothing good in Nazareth, man. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. You know what Jesus, compl- Jesus gives a compliment here and says, there's a guy that says exactly what he's thinking. This, yes. Dude, this is not a man who will try to, like, sugarcoat it. This is not a man yeah, who will right. try to, like, not, who will disguise what he really thinks. No deceit in this guy. Mm-hmm. He might be wrong, but at least you know he's telling you exactly what he thinks. This is what Jesus is complimenting here.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And Nathaniel said to him, well, how do you know me? Like, how do you know that I don't have any deceit? So, again, kind of straightforward. And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now that has layered meanings, Dan. On the one hand, it could be Jesus saying, uh, just simply, hey, I have the abil, I have the ability to see you even if you're not around me. Like I'm I'm proclaiming that I am capable of doing miracles. And Nathaniel really does seem to pick that up. Because immediately his response is, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. But it, it could also be that the fig tree here is alluding to something about Nathaniel's life as a sinner, because the reality is the fig tree uh, was symbolic often in Judaism for the fruit that Adam and Eve ate initially in the garden. If you remember what we're told about Adam and Eve, in order to cover themselves, what did they do? They covered themselves with what kind of leaves? Fig leaves. Now, for whatever reason, Western art has depicted forever that Adam and Eve have eaten what? An apple. Nowhere in Scripture on planet Earth does it say they ate an apple. I mean, it looks attractive. Certainly more attractive than a fig. But I guess it would make sense, since they sowed fig leaves, that maybe they ate a fig. And there was a tradition in Judaism that suggested they were eating figs. It could be that Jesus is making a subtle allusion here to calling out Nathaniel as a sinner as well. We don't know. Either way, what we do know is whatever Jesus says to Nathaniel here, it makes a mark. Because Nathaniel immediately says, Rabbi, you are the son of God.
0: You are the king of Israel. The Jesus answer to this is amazing because you would think Jesus might say like, finally, someone, someone's recognizing. Like this man has no deceit. And he does tell it like it is. Jesus answer is like sort of blows this off a little bit and says, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? Yes. Okay. It's going to get tougher than that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he says, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what on earth
1: does that mean? I mean, we're wrapping it up here. We've, we have to do this in a couple of minutes. Why would Jesus conclude what he says to Nathaniel by saying this? I mean, is this real? What is What is he talking about? Well... He is talking about something that I would imagine good Jewish boys and girls would be familiar with. He's referencing something way back in Genesis with Jacob. If you remember what's typically referred to as Jacob's ladder, when Jacob comes across this ladder, what happens on the ladder? Angels are ascending and descending. That's what Jesus is referencing here and nathaniel as a jewish boy might have that picture in mind but notice that here he doesn't say unlike with jacob that the angels are ascending and descending on a ladder but in fact on the son of man what does that mean
0: well eric what it means is that jesus is the ladder to heaven that this is the that he is the way that's precisely
1: correct. correct. And so what Jesus I is got saying to right. Nathanael, you did it, Dan. What Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, yeah, you're going to see miracles, but the greatest miracle that you're going to be a part of is I'm going to give you access to the heavenly realm with the Father forever and ever. Whereas this place only seemed to permit angels in the past, ascending and descending, you're, you're going to now be a part of that, too.
0: That's right. And that's it, man. We are well over time. Well over time. Way we over went time. over 30 minutes. We went over 30 minutes. We're not supposed to do that. Thanks for uh, hanging out and being a part of this episode, Eric. I'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good.